G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. Eagle Mount. Today is our feature guest. They'll be with us shortly. Later in the show, we'll dive into the archives to share a chat from years gone by. I've got my eye on 1996-97. We'll also see what came top for the Air Awards for 2019. That's the awards for the Australian Independent Recording Label Association held in Adelaide, four kilometres from my studio, 700 metres from my postal address, over the weekend, just been at time of record. For now, let's take a look... In the box. Lucy Thorne's Kitty and Frank, due August 2019, with the first cut Golden Plains already out, performed by David Symes, Hamish Stewart, Chris Abrahams, and of course, Lucy herself. An art pop record of the true stories of frontier woman Kitty Walsh and her lover, bushranger Frank Garnier. Album mastered by Lachlan Carrick, who has also worked with Gertier and the Triffords. Nave, 100,000 cut from the Breakup EP. The artist born and raised in New Zealand states that like to give comfort through their music to others, with the song stated to be about an unfaithful ex. Well, the first part explains the second, it seems. The title comes from the lyric, There are 100,000 people who are better for me. Charlotte Carpenter has dropped a few singles, and each time I stop when news of another arrives and take a listen. Latest is Follow You Down. Coming months, touring through UK and Germany. Carpenter clearly has a plan for their music, and taking time with each release, the latest no different in that regard. Dedicated to their nanny Molly. Grief is a strange thing, something I've come to learn never really leaves us. For each birthday, we can mark another trip around the sun, though this tune has such a wider and more poetic view on that journey. In the early 90s, the Clouds and Falling Joys were massive Australian bands, but something about them just did not reach the long tail of success like Nick Cave or Paul Kelly. Falling Clouds is the latest single from Dyson stringer Chloe. Sites a double gig from the two, from 91, that I remember being at. There's a strong chance a young Jen Clore was at the same show in Adelaide too. What is important, together with Mia Dyson and Liz Stringer, a new record on the way, recorded at the Loft in Chicago, from the trio. Let's now head to our feature guest. Eaglemont, a leafy suburb, but also the jangle rock project of a creative who goes by the same name. From their debut 7-inch, mediocre at best, to recent Hound, which Declan Byrne described as heartfelt and smart, they're carving their way into the music scene, gaining appreciative audiences as they go. While in Adelaide, as part of a tour with Ceres, Radio Notes caught up for a chat. Igamon, welcome to Radio Notes. Hello, thank you for having me. Firstly, congratulations on a huge amount of touring you've been doing. What has the touring experience in 2019 been like? Touring for me and my band, I'm lucky enough to have my band on the series tour with me. It's, in essence, I think it's a privilege. I'm really lucky to, to be on this tour and everything about it, even some things that other people might find a little less than enticing, like flights and late nights early mornings that kind of thing I just love it I want to live and breathe this kind of kind of stuff so yeah it's the best let's talk about the camaraderie on the road yeah how have you found that you're a bit of a younger generation yes is this something new for you working together with other people on a face-to-face value I think it is one of the most imperative things about about being a musician in the modern era and as a young person and you know I studied music and I had to unlearn a lot of stuff about turning every point of communication with other artists and other people in the industry about networking it is about community and it's about you know finding common ground and the series band members uh new album is called we are a team so it is the the essence of this whole tour and and my musical journey so far is to just collaborate well talk to me about the difference between networking and collaborating it's more about seeing the value in a person that goes beyond what they can do for you. I think it's really important to, if you meet someone that you connect with and have a conversation with, you know, about music, about life, whatever, it's, you know, not in turn like, okay, great, we've laid this foundation, you know, who do you know, what can you make happen for me kind of thing. You just treat people as people and not as leverage. 
You mentioned that you studied music and I that did. was more towards that? It's, it's more towards, you have to obviously codify something to teach it. So it is more about putting yourself in a position where it's a step ladder and, but you know, progress isn't linear and that's what I firmly believe in, so... What's your progression been like since 2017 when the first EP came out? Really, really positive and, and sporadic as well. For a while at the start, even up until a few months ago, the band and I were taking every single show that we got offered, which is like the best way I would say to kind of get a foot in the door is to just really play every single show that you get asked to play. It's been really good just working really hard and being creative and recording as much as possible and, and releasing as as much as I can within my means. Because the other side of that, leaning towards that business side, would be get yourself a solid product, do limited number of shows yeah. and get the most bang for buck any yeah, way you exactly. can. Yep. That's obviously not you. No, <laughs> that's not me. It's funny, especially being an unsigned, you know, it's just it's me and a computer basically. That's what Eaglemont is. Being that kind of individual person, you have to at times think like, say, a manager would or a booker would, but then also prioritise the way an artist thinks. And, you know, my priority is to play music and to create music, not fit it in a profit margin. Talk to us about that delineation of self, because that's what I feel it is when I have artists like yourself. That thing of, I am a musician, but I need to be the promoter, the booker as well. How do you do that? I think it's um, uh, it's a modern reality. I think you kind of have to streamline what you're doing, especially cost-wise. You know, I, like most musicians, have a day job that helps keep the whole project afloat. Just reaching out, reaching out and communicating. I can kind of pinpoint where things started to go in a really positive direction for us. It was, I reached out to a really good friend of mine now. Her name's Ruby Gill. I messaged her saying I liked her music and then we ended up playing a show together and then some other people were at that show and then I ended up playing a show with those people. So it is kind of like a domino effect. The more you put yourself in those kind of like positive situations, the more good that can come out of it. And that links back into what you're saying about community as well. Absolutely, yeah. It may not look like you have a neighbour, but all of a sudden you have a suburb of people. Yeah, exactly. It's a village, especially in Melbourne where it is kind of like everyone knows each other. You've got the most amazing artists and people around you. You can kind of lift each other up and, you know, play with your friends. We're currently in conversation with Eaglemont. Let's talk about image, if we can. Yeah, absolutely. When did you decide, Eaglemont, that image would be part of you and your marketing as an artist? Um, I think to be, I don't know, you have to kind of be image conscious because you have to know what you are selling and what you're presenting to audiences and and people but I also think that trying to manufacture you know an image per se can be really damaging to your creative output like for instance my my first EP was really kind of country and kind of folk singer songwritery and then I thought well the image that I kind of want to to be or the kind of music that I want to play is more electric based and more you know rock so I don't know. I don't know if I changed, you know, the way I look or the way I I do things, but I did change the kind of shows that we were playing and the kind of recording process as well and and who we were working with. And, you know, in that way, the image kind of shifts. Did that then define the kind of music you're writing as a songwriter, which you've been since the age of 15? Yeah. I've always kind of been writing songs, but then also what I was listening to changed as well. So my output was reflective of my input. I want to talk about the honesty of lyrics. I was going to raise this later, but this is yeah. a good point to do it because it's about image, who you are. Yeah. Samuel is not about a boy. It's an oldie, goldie. It isn't. I wasn't out at the time and I fell in love or like, I don't know if it was love looking back now, completely like head over heels with this person and and I wasn't out yet. So I wrote the song about her, but changed the pronouns and changed it to Samuel. Yeah. You've had to think about that over the years, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And what you did at the time in changing it? I think so. I think also like I was a teenager and everything else changes about you when you go into your, your early 20s. So, of course, the nature of my songwriting changed and so did the nature of the people that I was writing about. In terms of the level of honesty as yeah. a performer, in terms of the identity more broadly, do yeah. you want to give the music as well? Yeah, exactly. I think that 
audiences and crowds and, and music fans are intelligent and can sense authenticity when they see it and when they hear it. So it's it's my duty to myself and my craft and, and the people who listen to my music to give them an honest expression. How do you feel about that first EP? Um, I feel like it was really necessary and a really important point in the timeline, but it doesn't really reflect you know, the kind of music I want to make now and and the kind of way I want to produce things and, yeah, and the instrumentation. Basically, it was a great starting point and I'm proud of it, but it's time to move on. Well, let's jump to now. Yeah. The latest single is called Hound, which I believe is on a release that will be out later in the year. Yeah. Where's your mind focused? Just like in the same way that the EP was a starting point, every, every release I, I've put out, is an indication of where I was at that point in time and my journey as a songwriter and also the control I have over the production as well. I Hound, which was originally called Don't Be a Dick, but I had to change the name. You had to change the name? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have to, but I thought why potentially alienate some people that might be offended by by the title if I can just call it Hound, which is equally as reflective of the song. And there's still an F word in there anyway, exactly. so it's still My offensive. First recorded F word. <laughs> I think, yeah, every release is, is kind of like a, this is where I was at when I wrote it, when I recorded it, and moving forward, this is what I want my music to sound like and what I want to achieve in my sound, which also ties into image as well. Hound is the latest single, and I get a feeling that it's just as much about you as the songwriter as it is about the emotions you want from others when yeah. they listen to it. For sure. I think all art is an opportunity to connect. And when I wrote the song, I was feeling pretty isolated. Why is that? I guess the the material of the song is that it's about mental health and it's about not wanting to burden the people you love or Mm. the people around you with, you know, feeling pretty dark, which also you shouldn't do. Like, that's what the people that you love are there for. They're there to support you in dark times. Yeah, I... I was, and then it's about, I don't know, about connecting also with someone else who might be going through the same thing if I can potentially have a conversation via that song with someone that makes them feel less alone, then that's also a big part of why I make music. Because it's about communication. Yeah. And when someone is at that stage, one of the first signs, as you will well know, is they'll withdraw from life. Yeah. Uh, Julia Gillard was saying this on FM Commercial Radio, which was uh, I was very proud of her Absolutely. for doing that because it's not an audience that normally hears that message. Or wants to deal with something that's not covered in sugar. <laughs> At 8.15 in the morning. Exactly. How you think, and I'm not saying it doesn't, how you think writing a song like Hounds will help. I think it'll help. By honestly just the same thing, just if it can reach someone who is having kind of negative thoughts and who is kind of going through it. Also, the song is about empathy and mm. it's about realising that everyone's kind of fighting their own battles and, and going through their own stuff. So just trying to be mindful that being kind is something that, I don't know, doesn't get talked about enough and it's a, a great quality to have. Alas, the alternative title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the lyric in the song. <laughs> yeah. Is there a particular reason why people are being like that these days and maybe haven't in the past? Or is it just more obvious that people are being a bit of a Richard? Yeah. <laughs> my my mum told me to change the name of the title to Don't Be Richard. I didn't do that. I think, I, oh, I don't want to be that person, but like social media, it's easier to, you know, disconnect. It's easier to have vitriol when someone's not standing in front of you leaving a comment takes one second but saying something awful to someone's face is a lot harder so maybe that's why where do you find the source within you or otherwise for the empathy that you project i find it in the people i surround myself with i the way i was raised my mother is one of the most empathetic people i've ever met she's a school principal she's she's a doctor she's got a doctorate she yeah, she sacrifices just like everyone else does and yeah, she's just a hero. Doing the best by my sister and I and, and my dad is also a very empathetic person too so it's the way I am is the way I was raised and by the people I surround myself with. When did you, if ever, and maybe you didn't, yeah, rebel against that nicety? I think when... 
certain traumatic events would happen. I mean, tra trauma changes the way people react to things. And I think it's hard to, to try and remain empathetic when you're going through it. When were you first introduced to Missy Higgins? She's the reason I picked up an acoustic guitar. Like, I think her influence on songwriters and young female musicians is, is nothing short of like prophetic. I think that she's so important in the grand scheme of Australian music. I don't think you'll, you'll hear many songwriters, especially female singer-songwriters, that don't list her as an influence that are in my age bracket. Why is that? Is it just the time that she came onto the music scene? At the heart of it, Missy's songwriting is the reason why she's so good. She's And also Scar came out and it was about like A&R guys. It was about a label, you know. So for her to be like, here's my first single, it's amazing, it's about you, release it. <laughs> On the other spectrum, but within the same sort of camp of sound, City in Colour. Yeah, City in Colour. I love City in Colour. I've seen him play twice. Once was solo at Sydney Opera House and once was with full band Sydney Maya Music Bowl. Same thing as Missy. Also, I think I learn a lot about guitar from him as well. I never, I never learnt how to play guitar with theory or through lessons off. I grew up playing the violin. So when I turned 16 and was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to play violin anymore. And then I discovered Missy's music and Dallas Green, who's City in Colors music. I thought, oh, I can do this. I can play like this. I want to write songs like this. Kind of reticent of my own musical journey so far. I started with, uh, I mean, he was in Alexis on Fire, which is like a heavy metal band basically, but his solo stuff, all acoustic. First album is like a fully acoustic record and then up to now which is kind of like more more rock rockier which is kind of the direction that I've gone in naturally talking about playing guitar yeah back to good oh yeah 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 the tv series did it ever get produced I think so I think it got released I think it might have been a youtube thing it was great what was it how did you get involved with it so we're talking about a, a drama web series is what I've written back to good yeah my friend Kat Frank was the the lead, I think. Yeah. And she introduced me to the people doing it and they asked if they could use a couple of my songs. And I said, absolutely. Fantastic. And then I ended up doing also the music for my friend's graduating short film. She went to VCA. So I also have a real love of composition and, and composing in different ways too. Where this music's being produced, being written, where is that creative space for it? I write most of the, my songs, my house or I write lyrics and then come back to it or whatever. But I'm currently working with James Seymour, who is a producer in his mum's sewing room in a house in Greensboro, and it's the best. It's the most organic recording experience and producing experience I've ever had. And so that's year. for the material that follows up from Hound? Um, yeah, so Hound I did at his place, and then I've got, I've got another two songs basically locked and loaded with him, so it's very easy and it's just a wizard, basically. When you pick up the guitar, what's the relationship with the guitar like? I think it's positive, sometimes tumultuous. Did you say tumultuous? Tumultuous at times. I wow, have, I, I have, that I, word <laughs> is so wonderfully old. Yeah. I was library captain in high school. Obviously very cool. So not SRC, library captain? Yeah. I what was, does that mean? I don't know. I love books. When I was in high school, I didn't really, I spent my lunch times in like either the library or in the music room that we had. The, I think they started a library club and then they were like, you're going to be the spokesperson for the library club, promote library club. And I was like, this is my life's work. Okay. I was very popular. How many members did you get? Approximately three, four on a good day. Each day? Sometimes a rotating roster, sometimes the same people. All right. What were you reading when you were library captain? I, I think we were reading um, Jasper Jones, which is an Australian, Australian book. Really good. It's about a lot to do with race relations in Australia as well. It's so good. Did you grow out of books? I don't think so. I still read a lot. What are you reading? I'm reading In Cold Blood again at the moment because I think it's... Um, Tripodi? Yeah, because it's a classic and I love it. I think it's comfort reading. Um, I've just read it a lot and traveling as well, going to new places. Reading a book that you know is 
I don't know. My dad always said that as long as you've got books, you'll never be lonely. <laughs> so I've always basically always got one on me. We're talking physical copy as well, aren't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah. No Kindles here. What's the last song you listened to apart from your own? I've been listening to the new National album. I am easy to find that whole album. Have you listened to Maxon's new December single yes, yet? Yes, I love Maxon. It's the best. It's a cracker. It's emotional and it's well crafted, and she is a fantastic songwriter and a fantastic singer. And a great human being. Perfect human being. Have you been in any of her live shows? Did a kind of like a guest spot, and we sung I'm on Fire together by Bruce Springsteen. Where do you enjoy performing live and why? Every venue that we've played at on this tour has been a dream come true. Oh, you're I, in for a treat tonight. You've got the cranker tonight. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's sold out as well and it's just going to be the best. When we played at the corner to start the tour off, that was a bucket list moment. But I love playing live anywhere. So many bands over the years have gone through that room. That's the thing. It's like the venues that we're playing, I look at, you know, on the green room wall, everyone has a carries a sharpie with the bands I don't know I was playing at the zoo in Brisbane last week on the tour and I saw Camp Cope on the wall and I was like yeah I love Camp Cope. Hi I'm Dan Illich and this is Radio Nodes. Released first as podcast can also be heard on radio worldwide. The theme of Hound as we mentioned is about being empathetic supportive when you're in that place what are some of the things that you do to get you to that place where you can contact some mates and friends and get you back on track. I think when you're in that, or for me, when I'm in that kind of position, everything works differently for different people. So I try and ground myself with the people in my immediate life who I know I can lean on and try and do some self-care stuff, like going for walks. and Talk us through that. What does self-care actually mean? You mentioned walks. Yeah. I think self-care is a term that you apply to yourself and no one thing will work for another person. So for me, I like to kind of get into nature and I try to write a lot and and talk to people who remind me that the world is an ending. I also try and, even though it might not be enjoyable, get to the root of the issue and, you know, I think therapy is really important and it's really important to destigmatize therapy and, and talking about your feelings because that's where it's at. Yeah, a lot of people I've heard in the last couple of months or so are talking about going to therapy, like everyone's going to therapy. Yeah. Like, you it's know, great. it's this thing that people do. It is. It's, is it? Yeah, it's, I think it's very important, even if it's not like therapy per se, but to have someone who isn't 100% entrenched in your life and will have an opinion. Going to someone who's objective. We used to call those pubs. Pubs, alcohol, I don't know. Have you ever had concerns maybe for yourself or others when it comes to alcohol? I've been really lucky not to be have been put in that situation, personally or, or otherwise. Do you see it as a bit of a social issue? I think it's completely a social issue. I also think it's a, becoming an issue in the music industry, which I don't know if people really talk about that often, but the amalgamation of live music and, and alcohol and violence can't really be understated. See, I was hoping in recent years that just that of alcohol and music, yeah. the violence can be anywhere obviously, and can be a cause thereof. But, yeah. but the alcohol and music, I thought we'd got away from paying bands and writers. But yeah, I mean, some people still try to do that. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Or even worse, like exposure. <laughs> like you can't pay rent with exposure. For the young folk that are going to get that in their early days, yeah. what are some of the traps that you can fall into when people say, hey, it's for the exposure? Because you said yeah. play all the gigs that you can. That's it. That's it. That's it's a bit of a dichotomy, yeah. I think you just need to know your worth and you need to know what is going to work for you and your band and the choices that you make. Like, in a perfect world, it'd be great to be able to turn down shows when you're not going to get paid. But sometimes I've absolutely been in situations when the experience has been enough. But that's, like, very early on and... It really is, you know, the same thing. It's a personal decision for you and your band. But also if you're putting other bands and other up-and-coming artists in that position, you need to take a step back and look at what you're doing. What's driving your music career? I feel like it's my, not to go too far into it, my, my purpose. I think I nothing gets me up in the morning more than knowing that I get to create music 
When you say purpose, that comes with a bit of a weight. It does, yeah. Without prying too much. Yeah. Is it the number one priority then? My number one priority is the mental and physical well-being of myself and the people around me. The second priority is being fulfilled and content and trying. I mean, I'm going to be making music for my entire life and the concept of maybe making a living out of it is enough to keep me going. What's that plan that you've got in place to make sure that your dream, your drive, your purpose can be fulfilled? It's a bit chaotic to be honest it's a lot of it's like equal parts like luck and talent and community and opportunity it's putting yourself out there and having belief in yourself and striving to create the kind of music and image as you were saying that you want therefore like the life that you want I'm a 20-something, I've just come out of university, I've done a double degree, this is hypothetical. I have one or two journals full of lyrics. What am I doing next? Play live, practice, and when you're confident in that, go to open mic nights and, you know, or even pass that, you know, play some cover gigs, play supports. Basically just play until someone says, do you want to play with me? And then you say, yeah. And then someone else sees you. It's, it's, I mean, my experience, I can't speak for anyone else, but I basically, I came out of uni with four or five songs and asked a, a lecturer of mine, I want to create an EP. Like, how do I do it? And then she gave me the name of the person that I recorded the first EP with. And then I talked to him about it and it was kind of like trial by fire, you know? So you've kind of fig- got to figure out what works for you. And also your trajectory, like do you want to be a songwriter and that's it or do you want to be a performer? So you need to know what direction you're going and I think having a vision is important. You said you came out of uni, was there a particular degree? I did a Bachelor of Music. You went to uni to learn the craft? Yeah, I kind of ended up, well, I kind of ended up after high school, I had a few different avenues I was thinking about going down and then I sat down one night, you know, with my parents and had a discussion about where I want to be in, in five, ten years and what I want to be doing, what I think is going to make me happy. But what is your plan for the next five, ten years? I love playing live and creating music and meeting people and collaborating. I want to do an album and play shows. Like these shows that we've been playing on the Series 2 have been blowing my mind. It doesn't really matter if I'm playing to like two people or 800, then as long as I'm playing, I love it. What's your view on knowledge? What's the best way of sharing knowledge? I think the education and knowledge is the answer. My mother has a doctorate, is a school principal, and knowledge is, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's power, but it's also like when everyone is educated and everyone has access to the same resources and the same literature education, then, then everyone can become on equal footing. How are you feeling about marriage equality now that it's been achieved within Australia? I'm, I'm still kind of mad about it, to be honest. I'm a, I'm a gay woman and to think that marriage equality wasn't a thing until a year ago is quite frustrating and quite maddening. But also to realise that I'm lucky to be in a country that accepts who I was born as. Without pressing too hard on it, yeah, you did say there's still anger. Mm. As someone who is quite positive and yeah. empathetic. Yeah, I've got a temper. Really? Yeah. Not necessarily the temper, although it may be part of it. Yeah. The anger you still feel about the issue. I don't know. It's like, say, like marriage equality has been passed, thankfully, as it should have been forever, the end. But, you know, I still have so many people in the queer community who still face hardship regardless of gay people, you know, being able to get married. So I think it, it's also a, a system that needs to be kind of dismantled and put back together. You know, it does, it's not necessarily like a Band-Aid fix saying, OK, you can get married, but we're still going to treat you like shit. So someone who's about empathy... 
and very considered as well, I feel. How are you going to use your music experience? Is there a way that you can use your music experience to make lives better? Absolutely. I have a small platform and the kind of the songs that I sing and the things that I sing about, I don't shy away from no matter who I'm playing for or playing to. I have a song in my set list that's not out. It's called Heteronormative Nightmare and it's about going to my year 11 formal with my formal date and sitting in the back of a car with him and realising that I'm gay in that moment. I'm not like seeing anything radical like a couple of my songs uh, I have a bit of vitriol in them about you know my own experience as a queer person but that song in particular is just like normalising the fact that like yeah like gay people have experiences and like this is my life but like not necessarily in a bad way is also a way of like if there is a queer person or someone who identifies as part of the LGBTQIA spectrum then they can be like okay cool like you know I'm not just equally mad about this with you I this is an experience that I've also had and it's funny we need to get to a stage I would think that how a singer-songwriter identifies isn't the main issue how does the public engage with queer artists at the same time as not making it about the label that's it I mean I set the precedent as as the artist the things that I sing about and the things that I write about are things that I might necessarily like not want to have a conversation about but also might want to as well. In the same way that a crowd can or members of the audience can relate to me, they cannot relate to me and that's just the way it is. I, As the opener on this tour as well, I feel like the crowd don't really owe me anything other than respect. They don't owe me their, their attention or their their love because they're there to see they're there to see series but they do owe me their respect you're doing your own headline before this is released in fact you'll be doing your own headline gigs yes totally different atmosphere this is where you will be the focus yes it's going to be a bit of a turntable <laughs> it's gonna be great who are you looking forward to playing alongside more well, generally speaking yeah i'm the supports for the show a fantastic a band called quivers who just came back from South by Southwest and Elizabeth Fader who is a member of Fantastic Furniture. I've actually listened to the Quivers because yeah. NPR does like a hundred songs. Yeah, yeah, they did a... Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and like Quivers, just the name of it, I went, I'll give you them really, a listen yeah. and they were really good. They're the best and they're great people and Sam is a fantastic songwriter and I'm still kind of like amazed that they are playing the show with me. I like to play with people that I admire and I really admire them. Why is that? Is there a bit of nerves, like healthy nerves by doing that? I played elite sport for a while when I was a teenager. I played softball. Excellent. I think that playing with people, when I, when I played sports, playing with other good players makes you lift your game. And in the same sense, I like playing with artists who I admire and who I, I think artistically are brilliant so I can feed off them. It was a while ago, but I didn't get to hear it. I want to know what your experience was a couple of years ago of walking in the studio and performing for Lindy Burns. Oh, the best. Do you know how I actually like came to be in that studio? No. My family live in Perth and I created the EP, CDs, sent one to my dad and then he took it upon himself to do a little bit of a drop, a little bit of a, I don't know, round robin. One of my CDs ended up in Lindy Burns' office and she texted my dad and was like hey this is great like do you want to text your daughter and get her on the show and so then I ended up just going into ABC like what is my life and talking to Lindy Burns who is just an icon living legend and I was just there like with my acoustic guitar like <laughs> and then you got to speak to Katie Purvis as well yes Miss Chatelaine exciting times it's exciting life Living the dream, loving it. It's been an absolute pleasure. It has. Thank you for having me. Eagle Mount, thanks for your time. <laughs> See you soon. Eagle Mount. Recorded next to the water feature at Plant 4 Bowden while on tour with Ceres. Find them online at eaglemontmusic.com. Do 
During a chat with Eaglemont, mentioned Maxon and thought might share a new release I know they have been a part in working with and also mentioning of late in the last little while. It's a debut from artists called Like Bear. The tune is Drive. Pop sensibility with kicking backbeat and lyrical up-vocal delivery wrapped in a radio-friendly 3 minute 44 bow in part about driving people mad. Speaking of pop sound... Past guest Kobe Grant is hyped about Emily Roberts' In This Together out through RCA Deutschland. Liv Cartledge has returned to releasing music, brought to my attention from another past guest, Elizabeth Hull. Cartledge's new tune is Rogue Dog, so lovely, though note less so the topic for the song, to have them back making music. Latest from them was Timber, the EP, back in 2017. This new one dives into the restlessness of the dark of which the black dog dwells its owner's days. Radio Notes Discoveries Few releases have come past my desk in recent days. As always, links to music spoken about on the show can be found in the show notes on the episode page. Darling, the artist, Misery, the tune, with a film clip directed by Ron Underwood. Darling is the music project of Dahlia Ray, who has just embarked on a summer tour across America. Want to say emo pop, but not sure if that's an actual genre. What I do know is I've seen an unplugged version with just the vocals and guitar, just as strong in delivery as the produced release. Montaigne's video about climate change that quotes Kurt Cobain, a known smoker, on a side note, has a stack of school kids with a spoken word artist opening the whole clip. As mentioned previous, has a new album, that's Montaigne, and a tour on the way. Directed and edited by Nick Waterman, choreography of the dance and move by none other than the outstanding Larissa McGowan, who I first saw in 2000s as part of the Australian Dance Theatre, now at home from memory at the Sydney Dance Company, and recently starred at the Cabaret Festival premiering their Sure show. One more for this episode, Print It, Run It, Send It EP from Horatio Luna, an improviser, composer, bassist and producer. Release sounds like a musical jam mixed through a jazz funk infused conversation. Quite the trip. A German film, it's called Best Friend. Jonas, who's the the director of the film, he turned up to one of my shows in Berlin in 2013. was like, I'm such a huge fan. And he was wearing a Clary Brown and the Bang and Rackets t-shirt, who I don't know if you know, they're a Melbourne band. Justin Hamilton introduced me to this lady and the band and he could not say a bad word. Well, uh, Clary and I were actually living together at the time and he came with a copy of an old Snake Oil Merchants record and asked me to sign it. And I was just like, this is too strange. I didn't realise, and we'd had quite a few Snake Oil Merchants fans coming to these shows in Germany. I didn't realise that there was an audience there and Apparently, very, some very dedicated fans. And this guy in particular is like, I'm a filmmaker and I really, really want you to do a soundtrack for my next film. I showed up to the, the gig the next night as well and he brought me some DVDs of his films and we sort of hit it off and then um, he contacted me when I got back to Australia and said, OK, this is going to happen. Like, do you want to be involved? And I said, of course. So I rounded up all the snake oil merchants and said, what do you guys think about this and they were like of course so we did this soundtrack of this film a minute with mojo juju and there's so much more just to that yarn from a chat recorded a few years back a few hours ago the 2019 air independent music awards were announced the winners of after by all reports a marvelous evening at the freemasons hall on north terrace in adelaide south australia that opened with a welcome to country by Mojo Juju, who we just heard from. Spotted former member of Brown Hornet, a commercial radio announcer Dylan Lewis on the stage there too, in images released from the night I've seen. But who were the winners of the night and of the year? Well, here they are. All the following start with the word best, including independent album, Tide, Tell Me How You Really Feel, Courtney Barnett, with Jamura by Grumeral. Independent single, Native Tongue by Mojo Juju, Independent Artist of the Year went to G-Flip. Independent Pop Album, Area Famous by B-Wise. Independent Country Album went to Becky Cole's Lioness. Independent Blues and Roots Album, Marabura by Emma Warama. 
independent hard rock, heavy or punk album, the DZ Death Rays with Bloody Lovely, the independent dance electronica album or EP, Confident Music for Confident People by Confidence Man. Independent dance electronica or club single went to Beautiful featuring Warner Oak. Why so not the outfit? Independent jazz album, Animarium by Jonathan Swartz. Independent classical album, Bach Concertos by Gregorian Brothers, Adelaide Symphony and Benjamin Northley. And the independent label of 2019 went to Chapter Music with Gerarda McKenna of White Sky receiving the Outstanding Achievement Award. Hi, I'm Lucy Thorne and you're listening to Radio Notes. In coming episodes, we're catching up with Dan Illick as well as singer-songwriter Sam Buckingham. We're heading back to Broken Hill for a conversation with the owner of both the museum and the cafe, which is the Bell's Bar there, talking about the film industry as well. And then we're also going to hear from The Attics, who have a brand new single, Instant Feed, being launched in the coming weeks. We'll find out more about that. And I've also been eating ginger snap biscuits while getting my head into Amy Heather's Phoenix book. But for now, with about 10 minutes left of the show to go... Let's dive into the archives. Earthmen, been around for a long time. A great mini LP that I remember playing many a time was Teen Sensation. Of course, their 1994 release was Fall and Rise of My Favourite 60s Girl. Let's welcome Nick and Scott. You're the Earthmen. Yes. Only two Earthmen? Um, um, today there's only two of us. Yeah. There's normally many more, is there not? Yeah, there's, there's five of us. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> they're not allowed to talk. We, we, we lock them up in cupboards. Yes. And um, we feel that makes them stronger. <laughs> Bit makes of aggression. Them, makes them more aggressive on stage and yes. with us. A five-piece. You get your UMIs and your, your headers, your three-pieces that do well in Australia. Can a five-piece survive in Australia? Not financially. <laughs> it's, t- it's too many chirping mouths in the nest to feed, but it's... Uh... But eventually some of those mouths have to starve. For <laughs> <laughs> the common good. No, it's, uh, it's fairly necessary for the sort of sound that we've been pursuing for the last couple of years and the sound of our, our record. It wasn't... We didn't have the intention of putting a band together to sound like our record, but... Uh, naturally, by the way our record sounded and the sort of parts that we came up with, we wanted to have a big sound and a big, very loud sound for for live, so it was necessary to ring in as many people as possible. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's fairly lush. There's not really any stripped back uh, 90s unplugged moments on it. We've gone the, the big... I'd say it's about, ooh, 1982. <laughs> what does this button do? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, very uh, lush record. Very Led Zeppelin-esque. It's just not Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Scott, Scott, Scott. <laughs> okay, um, the vocals, we'll ask Scott about this one. Yes. What's your opinion of Suede? Uh, uh, I actually um, don't like Suede at all, but um, that's because I have problems with his voice, but I don't like David Bowie, so that would explain why I don't like Suede. <laughs> I like a couple of their songs, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's like one of those things. It's like they're one of those bands you either love or you hate, mm-hmm. and... Um, I mean, a couple of my friends absolutely adore them, but um, I always thought that kind of stank. But then a couple of the singles are really cool, so I don't know, it's one of those things. If we're talking about the LP, um, Love Walks In, it's got a title track, Love Walks In, Do You Feel Cold? This is like a, a whole heart-wrenching, romantic uh, album. It's a hate song, actually. <laughs> That's well, romantic. <laughs> I know what you mean. Ro- yeah, that was the, um, that was, that was, certainly was the flip side. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole sort of um, album, which is sort of based around sort of people and relationships and um, interpersonal relationships, not necessarily about just like um, love and stuff. Mm. You know, it's, it's just about how people relate and things and about how you relate to yourself and, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff, if you know what I mean. One of the B-side tunes to the cassette, which will be available on CD, of course, it's called Love. Love Walks In. I knew there was one word missing there. Um, loving. That's what you were going to say, wasn't it? It's called loving. Loving. <laughs> we should have got it loving. So 60s happening, 70s kind of a thing. <laughs> Mate, uh, we know the National Youth Network likes you, but how about the world of commercialism? I don't know if I want them to love us per se. I want them to use and abuse us. Mm. Use us as toys, have We're their wicked way with us. Dirty kind of relationship. <laughs> yeah. 
the new one with the very long tail, uh, whoever's been using the bed. Whoever's been using this bed's actually about a relationship abuse, so <laughs> it's not so cheery, I suppose. Um, but, um, why, why that as a single? Have you? Why that as a what that that particular song? Because we we thought it sounded like it would be a good single. <laughs> um, it's yeah, and it's just one of those things. It's just I mean, it's I mean, it's a fairly peppy kind of a yeah. song, and it's sort of up, but. Uh, if lyrically it's incredibly intense and depressing, so it's sort of, uh, it's got us in a bit of a nutshell, really, yeah. as our sort of taste in music and the way we express it, I think. Well, you know, like some of your favourite pop songs and stuff, you know, aren't necessarily, it's, it's good if there is some kind of juxtaposition where if it's like a really sad-sounding song, it's not actually a sad lyric, or and vice versa. It wasn't done, the song wasn't written, you know, oh, let's write a, a really happy-sounding song with, um, you know, whatever kind of lyrics... It's just how it ended up. Let's write the next Radiohead creep. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's like mm. so far away from, you know, I mean, it's not that kind of ethic at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is what they ended up writing the song about, you know. So, because, I mean, it isn't necessarily, you know, about just male or female, relation, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's just about what happens and stuff and how people get used and sort of that kind of stuff. And hurt and abused, yeah, abused and things and taken for granted and hassled out and stuff. You guys are currently just doing the big promotional... Hello, here we are. The album is called Love Walks In, out on Warner. Coming coming Hello. soon. <laughs> here, here we are. are. <laughs> the album's called Love Walks In, out on Warner Music. And, and we can go now. now. Yeah. <laughs> is that right? Did you get that? <laughs> the live scene. You, you guys are absolutely fantastic live. I think I saw you in Melbourne a year or two ago, possibly. I can't remember. It was that long ago. But you I... were drunk, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm asking the questions. Thank you. But you were, weren't you? I, I remember you. <laughs> the live scene for you guys down the eastern coast I know is pretty strong, but Adelaide, Perth, Tasmania, Northern Territory, do they treat you well? Um, they do, but they, it's very. we've only played in Perth once and that was with uh, Alanis Morissette. Big, it was kind of a strange experience, but in Adelaide we played a couple of shows here a few months ago with Rebecca's Empire. And that, was, that was really ace fun. I mean, <clears throat> it was really good, and I think one thing that we're aware of is that it's now not just, say, Melbourne and Perth that have a, a pop audience, a pub-going pop audience and venues to promote it. It's sort of pretty much everywhere it's it's like that. So it's very important that we sort of get everywhere that we can. It's just uh, we haven't managed to get to Adelaide as much <laughs> as we should have. <laughs> uh, but this new album's out, so if enough people buy it, then it gives you an excuse to come here. Well... The other way around, I think, is the way that relationship works, that if we come here, then maybe people will know who we are and uh, then they might buy the record. So, Well, there is the Earthmen who have performed on uh, Lars Morissette's first Australian tour, not the one she quite recently did, the first and the most important one that was the nice, more intimate shows that she did. Yeah. Intimate, intimate, as in, you know, <laughs> the <laughs> Perth Entertainment Centre. To a million people, as opposed to two million. <laughs> as I said, intimate. Not. Did you guys do any backstage stuff? Did you actually get to find out about her or that well, kind of stuff? Well, we were just like a little slaves, really. That was about it. Mm. She asked us to do something, we did it. We licked her boots. We did everything we could to get on a national, international tour <laughs> with her. Didn't but it work. didn't work. <laughs> Obviously, we were really lousy. <laughs> All right, let's see how bad you are. This new single, Go For It. If I'm going to stand morning. up because I, I think my lungs last time were um, <laughs> tickling my stomach. We're joined by the Earthman and the new single, we not the Hug Me Tighter uh, tune. This one is. We won't do the, the single kind of ending. We just finish oh, it, finish okay, it okay. in uh, album style. I'm going to get closer to you, honey, because you're looking mighty fine today. He might this be. a bit of a big ask, you know, and we've never done this before. So. We've never played the song. Have you heard the words Milli Vanilli? <laughs> <laughs> and it's featured on the Love Walked In. If the guitar sounds like this, that's because my dreadlocks are hanging. <laughs> <laughs> this tune by the Earthman. Whoever's been using this bed. You'd never notice from our whitened skin, would you? From the CGP released Love Walk In. Um, that's the Earthman. You might as well stand up again there, Scott. Ah, oh, crikey. Because we're quickly going to say goodbye because I know you have to rush off to SAFM. Oh, cut it out. You're just jealous. <laughs> I know. I'm jealous that you I'm can, not going SAFM. You, you, can, you can come with us if you like. I wouldn't just get us water. They'd get us tea. What do you want to tell that those punters out there who are going to pick up this album, Love Walked In, from Big Star Records? But, uh, Please don't return it to a, um, a second-hand shop within the first three weeks of retail sale because um, people will just buy it in second-hand shops because it'll be cheaper. 
and that deprives the artist of income. <laughs> That's right. And these artists, being a five-piece, need the money. Yeah, absolutely. Very costly project for you guys. Like, a, a, you've got a major record company behind you, so I assume it was a bit cheaper. Or cheaper for us personally, but... Uh, you got to pay it every, back, don't yeah, you? Yeah, every dollar. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, big companies have a propensity to want to spend a lot of money on things, and, uh, and it's our money that they're spending, so we can't... Mm. I mean, it's exactly the same on an indie or, or a major in terms of you're, you're responsible in the end for like, you know, it's all boring stuff, but you're responsible for the money in, in the end anyway, you know what I mean? Record company, the bank. You know, when we're on an indie or when we're on a major, there hasn't been a lot of difference except for the fact that we actually got to make a record that we wanted to make in, in terms of, you know, production. and. Yep. So and no compromise sounds. on the sound at all? No, I mean, and they were really, you know, Warners have been really, really cool about stuff, you know, it's like whatever, like what we wanted to make, what they were cool with, you know, which is how it should be. Can we squeeze in Hug Me Tighter before your voice goes? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's just because, you know, I've, I've been on a, a six-week um, <coughs> holiday in the Bahamas <laughs> with all my Warners <laughs> pals, the Super Jesus and, um, and Regurgitator, because we all hang out together. Here is... Am I gonna, what note should I hit? I'm just figuring it out for a second. This is Hug Me Tighter by the Earthman. And I'd like to point out the um, discerning listener, that was the um, jungle version thereof. We often break into a bit of a jungle kind of bit with our... Anyway, I'll shut up. Scott Stevens and Nick Batterman of The Earthman, back from a late 90s promo rounds. Chat minus the live cuts performed due to copyright. Clearly the record company in the day wanted me to have a chat with, though based on the music, I was pretty keen as well. Very much a promo chat. Note that a few years back, a solid compilation of their releases called College Heart was released through Pop Boomerang Records. That particular chat was conducted as part of a live session set and for a magazine I was writing for back in the day, 1996, 1997 it would have been as that was the year of the album's release. Oh, as for SAFM offering them tea? Nope, the boys were pointed to a vending machine. Dan Ellick of Irrational Fear, guest next episode... Thanks to our feature guest this episode, Eagle Mount. RadioNotesPodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia. 